Executive Director of the Committed Project. The Committed Project is an organization created to help share the stories of professionals in higher education experiencing mental illness. By doing this, we hope to educate our fellow professionals about mental illness, increase support for those of us with mental illness, and stomp out the stigma associated with it. Today, I'm talking with Sylvester Gaskin. Uh, I should have asked that I pronounced that correctly. Yeah, it's all good. Okay, good. <laughs> I, I, as I was like getting ready to introduce you, I was like, shoot, I forgot to ask. <laughs> so today I'm talking with Sylvester Gaskin, who's going to talk to us a little bit um, about his own experiences, uh, both in higher ed and with mental illness. So Sylvester, can you start by telling us a little bit about your career journey and your current role in higher ed? Okay, career journey is kind of a little unique I started off as an engineering student, and I worked in a residence halls at Iowa State. And so, um, you know, I was, I was working in a learning community, and I, the economy was kind of bad at the time for engineers. And so um, I decided to go to grad school. I got some, some advice to, you know, get a master's in higher ed, and you'll make a lot of money. And, you know, I'm, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I, I don't know who you gave you that advice, but. No, I actually had words with him uh, later on in my career. I was like, you gave me some pretty bad advice. He goes, no, I told you you make money when you get to my level, not yours. I'm like, all right, cool. I see how it is. So I did master's work at Iowa State. And then my first job was at a small private school in Minnesota. And I was there for a couple of years and it, 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 it wasn't you know, the, the best of experiences. And I actually left. I left higher ed. I actually moved to California, moved to the Bay Area. I was with, uh, met up with my partner, who's not my wife, out there. I was in K-12, you know, so I did teaching there. And then after a while, I, I decided to go back into higher ed, and the only job that I could get was at Iowa State. And so I actually went, I moved from San Francisco to, to Ames, Iowa, uh, which was a... Yeah, that's a bit of a culture shock, huh? Yeah, yeah, it definitely. I, I, was, I was working uh, at an elementary school in, in deep east Oakland, California, and probably within a span of like three days, I go from, you know, deep east to Ames, Iowa, which is like fundamentally everything is different. You know, ideally. Absolutely. Yeah. And, it, and that really, um, that was a major mind melt for me. Like that, that set off tremendous amounts of anxiety. But I was, I was there for a couple of years and then uh, I'm from the... Okay. I'm just going to stop you for a second. When were you at Iowa State? When was I there? Uh, I was a student there from 99 to 2006, and then I worked there from 2012 to 2014. Sorry, I, my husband worked at Iowa State for a year, and I'm trying to think of when that was. Um, okay. Because because I was living there, of course. I lived there for half the year, and then I couldn't, the time that I was there, they were downsizing in a lot of departments, and so I couldn't get a job on campus to save my life because they kept giving it okay. to all the people they just laid off in a different department. And so we ended up moving back down here um, where I was able to get a job. But I think our times there might have crossed. Yeah. I mean, it's weird. You know, everybody says that this is kind of a small field. I say it's a small world. Yeah. Where I, I, I had a colleague here uh, who went to Iowa State. Probably, he was probably in the master's court after me. And I'm like, I had no idea. And now we work like 20 feet away from each other. Wow. Like, it's, it's kind of weird like that. So. Yeah. He was in the, was it Franklin Hall? Franklin Hall. I think. Maybe. I don't. 
I don't remember the buildings. <laughs> Maybe I don't. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I just remember he had some engineering students who wanted, who were trying to convince him that they could build a hot tub on their yeah, it sounds like uh, second story yeah. in their second yeah. story suite. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he was like, "Yeah, you guys didn't account for the weight of the water." So no. <laughs> Anyways, sorry to, to to interrupt your story, but I was like, I'm pretty sure we were there somewhere yeah. around there. So, so I, I left Iowa State. I moved back to Baltimore. I worked at a university uh, just north of Baltimore City, uh, and I was there for probably about three years, and I was working on my doctorate. I, I finished my doctorate June of last year, and then I actually transitioned to kind of like a mid-level management position here. I'm at the University of Arizona. So I've only been here probably about seven or eight months. And uh, right now I'm an assistant dean of students, so I'm in charge of student government and student activities. So that's where I'm at. All right. Thank you. I'll try to make these sound a slightly less like job interview questions from here on out. Uh, <laughs> you started um, alluding to your anxiety mm-hmm. with that move to Ames. Can you talk a little bit more about your experience with mental illness like across your lifetime? It's been kind of throughout. It probably manifested around age 12, my folk split. And I think me being the, the oldest son, I probably, yeah, I, I had internalized that as it was my fault, that it was, it was, you know, it was me that caused that. And it kind of, it festered for a while. It, it, it kind of flared up in, in high school a little bit. It, it flared up in my undergraduate in college, uh, but I never saw anybody. I think I was just either I didn't know or I was too prideful or nobody would believe me. Uh-huh. But it wasn't until probably midway through my second year of my master's program, I actually went to a, a clinician and um, I was diagnosed with, at the time, a severe form of clinical depression. And I went on some medication and I was in the middle of a job search too. So it was just like everything cascaded at once. Right. Yeah. It's just like it never, it never comes at a, like a convenient time. It's like, oh, you have a lot going on. Well, here I am. <laughs> and so... Yeah, I, I, I struggled with it through my first professional job. I just it wasn't a healthy environment for me to be like as successful as I wanted to be. And when I moved uh, to California, I was in a I was in a pretty much a better place. And I was actually able to talk to a doctor and kind of get off medication. And so I had a, I had a few years uh, where I was fine, but I, the the anxiety kind of came back when I was working in in Oakland and. Yeah, you know, I'm working in you know, I'm working in, in K twelve schools in in some pretty in some pretty tough environments with students who are going through some pretty tough situations, and it just it just kind of wore it kind of wore on me. So like the jump back to higher ed, I thought would be good, you know, not just mentally but professionally, and it was good professionally. But it was a switch to uh, moving to Ames that you know I, I I remember like my last day in a school in Oakland, there was a big fight and having to kind of sort all that out and paperwork and people, you know, just, it was just kind of a bad situation. And then three days later, I'm, I'm in the middle of Iowa. Yeah. Which is essentially the middle of nowhere when you're. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, And, and I do remember sitting in my desk and it was just like eerily quiet. And I thought, and I really honestly thought something was wrong. I was like, something is not right here. And it turned out that, um, I really honestly thought that, um, the intrusive thoughts came back. Like they, they, they came back roaring. Like you don't, you, you don't belong here. You don't need to be in this environment. It's, this is too good for you. And you know, a, a lot of paranoia set in. It, it, was, it, it came back roaring back. It, it was to the point where I would sit in my office every day and the, 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 if the door was open, 
people would walk past, and I knew that as soon as they walked past my door, they were talking about me. Mm. You know, I, I knew it. Like, I was convinced of it. Like, I'd go to staff meetings, and, you know, I knew people were like, you know, why would we hire this guy from, you know, East Oakland, California? You know, even though he's an alum, like, why? Why is he here? And, you know, so I actually went back to a clinician, and he was, he's like, yeah, you got a severe form of anxiety, of a generalized anxiety disorder. It said, you know, the depression doesn't kick back in, but, but the anxiety, man, it's like through the roof. And that's kind of something I've been struggling with up, up, till, up till now. And, and the one thing that's helped me manage it was I actually had a supervisor at, at ISU who had kind of been through something pretty similar. And she gave me some, she gave me some like wonderful advice because I, I went in and I talked to her and I thought I was going to be fired. Yeah, I was that paranoid. And she's like, first off, that's not going to happen. And second off, she gave me this great, this great piece of wisdom. She's like, you know, where you were from, like, imagine when you go to, like, a bar, and you, there's, like, a bunch of TVs there. When you go there, every TV's red. Like, it's red, it's blaring, it's, it's you know, no, no good, no good, no good. Now you're in an environment where every TV's green. But you see that one TV that shows up red, and now your mind is saying everything is red, everything is bad. You know, everything is, like, not what it should be. And she's like, I had to kind of work through that, too. And, and that, that really helped me, you know, kind of work through, work through things. And I remember that. I, I think about that even now to this day. When I go to meetings with higher ups and I think that every TV is red, I have to remind myself that it's, it's not. It's just my interpretation of what I think is going to happen. And that's been incredibly beneficial for me as I kind of work through, you know, a new job, a new environment, you know, a higher position. And, you know, still kind of struggling with mental illness. And, and, and you know, being a man of color, too. I mean, that's a whole other layer of sure. you know, expectations on top of it. So. That's a really interesting, I've never heard anybody talk about it like that, but I, that's a really interesting way of looking at that. I could see where that could be helpful when you can, when you can get to the point where you can remember that. Yeah, I think about that. I think about it a lot. And, and, and I, I do remember when she told me that, I remember walking back to my car and like campus was quiet. You know, even at Iowa State campus, it's beautiful. There's trees, there's birds, you know. You'll hear the the campanile, and it's just very idyllic. It wasn't like the elementary school in Oakland that I was I was at. Right. And it took me it took me a while to realize that like this this is the environment that I'm in, and and what I'm like what I'm sensing, like everything I'm seeing is normal for this environment. Right. And that's something that really helped me. And and I, I had a really good therapist who I talked a lot about uh, talked a lot about with. He was great at helping me out. He's like, this is Ames, Iowa. Like it's you you, you know the environment. And that was like, okay. Yeah. Like, I've been here before, you know, so. Just making that adjustment for yourself. Yeah. Well, that. <laughs> it was a hell of an adjustment. Yeah. Well, that's, I, like, it's reassuring to hear that there was somebody that you were working with that was able to, to support you in that as you were going through that. That's, I always appreciate hearing that because I know that's not been, that's not everybody's experience. Yeah, I think I'm. I think I'm incredibly beneficial right. to have had that experience because I know some folks who haven't, and I, I think I. I think I've incredibly. I've lucked out incredibly with it. That's awesome. One of the things that you said um, that I wanted to kind of go back to is um, how you were experiencing. You were likely experiencing some issues with depression and anxiety in college, but you never sought help for them. Then, mm -hmm. I guess I'm curious: were there barriers to you getting help for those, or did you just not? even realize that I, I was reading a statistic recently that like most people with anxiety never seek help. And when they do seek help, it tends to be for like other health issues, like 
that stomach aches or things like that. And then it's not until they go and seek help do they figure out that they have anxiety. Uh, so I'm just kind of curious. I, I think it was more internal. I, I think it's internal because I just didn't know what was going on. And I think another part of it's cultural. And, and I've talked with, with other men of color about this is you have moments where you have like self-doubt and you have anxious moments and, you know, it might, it might, what's my purpose in life? Stuff like that. Like that, that's fine. But I think for, for me, it goes back to the old adage of, you know, your ancestors have been through far worse and have done far more. So, like, you know, there's no reason to be, like, down. Right. You know, and, and I got that, you know, I even got that from, from, like, older, like, advisors and staff. And, and many of them were, were men of color who are like, you know, we, yeah, it's, this is tough. But think of what our families have been through. Wow. Yeah. You know, and I was like, okay, well, like, okay, well, I, yeah, I'm, I'm the only black dude in a 400-person class. You know, my, my granddaddy went through Jim Crow South. Like, this is nothing. But I think that over time that, that begins to wear on you because now there's, like, this expectation of, was an expectation that you somehow, there's, like, this expectation that because everybody else has, has like, overcome that you have to do it as well but the one thing that that is not ex, not explained to you is that the environment has changed and that as people we have changed to the environment so yeah my granddaddy you know my granddaddy, my granddaddy grew up in florida during jim crow and my dad was one of my dad was in the first class that desegregated his high school in the 70s uh-huh. you know me i'm I, i'm going to college on a scholarship like that's you know, while, while I have achieved, that those pressures are still there. And I, and I talked with other, right. other men of color who said, like, yeah, like we, that was kind of the standard line that we got, you know, as kids was, you know, you know your family done, 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 done some things, so you need to, you know, buck up and it's okay. And so I think part of that was in my head, too, was, you know, if granddaddy could do it and dad could do it, I could do it. But I didn't understand that, that at, at a certain point, your mind is, I don't want to say your mind's going to break down, but your mind's not going to operate like at its maximum. Uh, and it wasn't until, you know, grad school that I realized that my mind was breaking down. Right. Like I just, I couldn't focus. I couldn't do anything. I, I had vivid images of my funeral. And I'm like, that, oh. I think for me, once I experienced that, I was like, that's not like how the brain's supposed to operate. Yeah. I think this might not be normal. <laughs> no, this is normal. Like, I know people don't like me, but now I'm sitting here thinking, like, what are they going to say at my funeral? And I'm like 22. Like, yeah. I, that, 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 that just didn't, didn't, didn't jive with me. Uh, and so that's when I finally went. But I think through, you know, through undergraduate, I knew to go to the doctor if I was physically sick. I didn't know that I'd go if I was not, you know, performing mentally, you know, at, at my peak or if I was having issues. I didn't know I could do that. Sure. I mean, I, and part of it was, you know, like, I'm a first-gen college student. I had no idea. There's a health center. So if I, like, broke my foot, I know I can go there. But if I'm having ideations, I didn't know I can go somewhere. No clue. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it, I think it's a lot of what you said is really interesting from the fact that, like, many of the people that I talk to that, that experience mental illness already struggle with seeking help for, for similar reasons that, like, I look at what other people are dealing with and I think, my gosh, you know, I've got a job, I've got a house or whatever, I've got these things. What am I worried about? Why is this 
a problem for me. Yeah. Um, and so then you take that and then you stack on top of it all the years of oppression that people of color have experienced. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, then you're, then you're, you've got that extra level, right? So it's not even just what are other people in the world experiencing right now, but what have my ancestors and, and even my immediate family, what, or, you know, any of that right now. And so you, you layer that on top and it's like, I mean, sometimes I wonder, Celeste, how you got help at all. Like, right, you know, like (laughs) there's so many barriers you guys have to get through. Yeah. For me and for other folks that I knew, it was, it just got to the point where it's just like, you know, I just can't live with this. Yeah. I I just can't. But but one thing I will say is I am, I am heartened to see younger professionals of color and, and, and some of my students of color who openly say I go to therapy. That's fantastic. They're, 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 they're 17, 18. Like, I, I go to therapy. I, I deal with some stuff. And, and professionals who are like, I go to therapy because I need it. And, and I do remember working with a student, a student leader who was doing a lot. She goes, I've been to therapy for a while because I, I, I need it. I, that, that's, that's where I get my, I reclaim my soul. And I wanted to break down and cry because I'm like, I wish I had your, at your insight at your age. Right. When I was your age. Because I would, I think my time in school would have been a thousand times better. Uh, had I just had, had I had that clarity of thought that you have right now, like I, I mean, my college experience would have been infinitely better. Right. But it, 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 it heartens me to see that there are, you know, students of color and people of color going to find therapists and specifically going to find therapists of color going out their way and networking and saying, okay, you need to go see this person right now that, you know, the, the, the down for the cause. That that makes me like hopeful. Absolutely. It 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 is it, 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 like damn. I wish I damn. Like damn. I went to school in Iowa. There's no way I would have right. found that. Right. You know. Like, but but, I mean, I, I think while there are, there are the structural barriers there, I it, it is heartening to see folks acknowledging that they need the help, and then going out of their way to find the resources that they need. I mean, it, it's, it's heartening to see, you know, professionals on, like, on social media saying, like, this is what I need. I, I think for me, it, it was helpful to see just a small amount of professionals of color say, I, I need help in order for me to come out and say, okay, like, I, I can. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's a few of us who say, like, yeah, this is what I need in life. I, I live with mental illness. I struggle with it at times. I thrive through it at others. And I work in a field that yeah. can be open yet demanding. It can be open and closed. So I had to navigate all this stuff and it made me feel like, okay, I'm really not the only one that Absolutely. is kind of going through it. So, so I, I've asked this of the other folks that I've been talking to. And I think um, they look at me when I first ask it, like I have two heads, <laughs> like they're duh, there's an obvious answer to this. But how, how do you think... I mean, you've talked a little bit about this, but how do you think experiencing mental illness has impacted your work? And that might be either um, negatively or positively. And that second part of the question is the one where they look at me like, what do you mean positively? <laughs> but I have a point. I have a, a thought on that. Yeah. I, I, I'll actually do positively one first because I've thought about this and I've talked to my wife about this is that I think having the anxiety, it makes me double, triple check my work. It, it makes sure that I know what I'm doing before I go in. And, and it can be a little bit of a bear to handle. But now it's like I, I, I oversee like massive budgets. 
and I can't right. I can't overspend. Like I, I will I will lose my job if I do that. Right. right. So the the anxious mind is like, okay, you know, you know what you need to spend, you know how to spend it on, you know, be, be prepare for this, be prepared for that. Um it it actually helped I think to some extent it helps me be not somewhere more cautious, but aware of the pitfalls that may come down the road. And so when I speak to higher administration, I I, I feel like I'm more prepared. Sure. Um well, because you've done You've done as much prep work as you can. So when you go in and your anxiety is then telling you you're not ready, you at least have some facts to counter that with. Like, no, I I triple checked this. Like, I... yeah. And and if and if uh, something comes up like out of the blue, there's like there's no way you could prepare for that. Right. Like there's just no way. And and then I have to train my mind to be like, hey, listen, you can't prepare for every single eventuality. Like you can prepare for what you can prepare for. Uh, but I think the anxious mind helps me prepare for a whole lot more than I think anybody else would have. That's really that's a really good way of looking at that. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it, it part of it part of it was part of my engineering training. Like you know, you have a backup plan for a backup plan for a backup plan. But the an- <laughs> anxiety says now you need to have three more backup plans right. for everything else. <laughs> you know, like you just need to have it done. Um, but I think negatively, it, it part of it is that you know it does impact relationships. I mean, it, it, it definitely did, probably my first couple of years in the field, it, it definitely did in grad school because I, I didn't, I, I guess I, I misread the, I, I misread, I miss, it makes me misread the room. Oh, yeah. Uh, it definitely makes me think, you know, that what isn't real is real. And it, it, it makes me question interactions. It, more, more, it manifests itself in interactions with people because this is a people profession. You know, we talk about that, and I'm naturally an introvert, so I don't like to meet people. Like, I just, like, I'll meet a few folks, like, okay, I'm fine, and I'm done. Right. You know, but now it's, like, like conferences are, are just, I, I, I'm, I'm not a big fan of them. Yeah. Uh, and, and I actually, I think, I think my first NASPA was 2014, and I had a panic attack, like, right in the middle of the lobby. Yeah. You know, and, and, uh. I told myself for NASPA 2018 because I hadn't I hadn't been back since. Like I said, like I, I know I know what I need to do now. So, you know, there are functions where I can go, I can I can show my face and I can leave. And as much as I want to stay, just you know, I'm just not in the right headspace to do it. And I don't want those intrusive thoughts to come back. Right. I was at another conference in 2016 where, you know, it was it was like extroverts paradise, and I I actually left. You know, I was in the middle of a dinner and I got up and I walked out and I didn't come back and, and the anxiety was like, everybody's going to know that you left. Right. But honestly, nobody knew that I was gone. And so now the anxious mind was like, well, nobody recognizes you. Ugh. You can't win with the anxiety. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, damn, like, man, I can't yeah. do, I can't get, I can't do nothing right. So it, it, that's how it manifests itself. But I mean, I was happy to say that NASPA and Philly. You know, I was able to manage it fairly well. I was able to meet with friends and colleagues and, you know, find a community of, of, of like-minded folks who have similar experiences to me that were, you know, they, you know, they openly talked about going to therapy too. And I was like, okay. I'm in the right place. Like, yeah. Like, okay. I'm with the right yeah. crew. There's 8,000 people here, but these 10 are the ones yeah. I need to be around. So, I mean, it, it, the anxiety really, it, it, you know, the manifest itself like it was right before meeting. Is especially if I know there's going to be some difficult conversations. I'm I'm nervous, but then once I get in there, I know what to say. But then the anxiety comes in of you don't want to be too overbearing, 
uh, you know, you don't want to be the angry black guy. Right. And, you know, that, that I think my last position, I, that kind of manifests itself a lot. Uh, but here, I've actually had conversations with some folks, you know, some professionals of color. They're like, hey, listen, if you, you know, if it comes up that, if it comes up that way, it comes up that way. I just got to get over that, you know. But I think that's a pervasive thing within the field that it fuels my anxiety too, is you don't want that, that label on you. Absolutely. I think that's more of a scarlet letter than, nah, I just don't want to say that. But I mean, it, it's, it, to me, it's like, it's like a double burden. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that um, there's a lot of us carrying multiple identities in the field that, like, yeah. you're, you're trying to navigate all of that at the same time, you know, for for women of of any color, like, being too assertive ends up, yeah. you know, you, you get the bitch moniker, you know, or whatever. Um, you get the angry black woman as well, angry black man um, with that, you know, there, and it's... It's so frustrating. You're <clears throat> just trying to like <laughs> talk and and you're trying to navigate that on top of you know anxiety and everything else. It's it's super challenging, I think. And I know for me a lot of times it manifests not so much right in that that moment, but like you said like before. Yeah. Um to where I it's like there's such a level of dread in having to go into that room that I'm like, surely there has to be another option, right? Like, <laughs> it can't possibly be that I have to go do this right now. Yeah, I, I think for me, it, manif- it really manif- manifests itself after. Interesting. So I've had the conversation, I, I had a conversation, like, probably a week and a half ago with some folks that uh, I, I was dreading, and it wasn't amazing. It, it, had, it had to be had. Yeah. And I, I, I let my, my opinions sure. be known, you know, in a professional standard. But, I mean, as soon as I left, you know, probably a half hour later, I'm like, oh, man, I really came off as, you know, I'm the angry brother in the room. And at that point, someone, someone, was, someone told me, was, well, they probably had it coming. Yeah. And to me, that, that brought the anxiety down from 100 to, like, yeah. negative 5. was like, for some reason, I needed that validation. Yeah. But then it gave me this moment of clarity of it doesn't matter how I'm going to be seen. You know, they're going to be see, they're going to see me how they're going to see me. What matters is that I do my job. And that's part of working through that those anxious moments is is that yeah, like some of that stuff's going to be there. Right. And and no matter what you do it's never going to go away. Like I could buy everybody lunch, breakfast, lunch and dinner for a week and then I say one thing and that automatically pops back up. I have to be my I have to you know, call my, my head to know that that's going to happen. And then if it does happen to not belabor about it after the meeting to the point where I had, I have to move forward. And I think that's another negative of the anxiety is that I'll spend time ruminating about stuff like after the fact for days. And I saw this comic and I just about died when I saw it. Um, and it was like, you know, me in the moment, "Mm, I don't know if that's correct or whatever, you know, it's like a, like a, you know, very uh, unconvincing argument. And then it's like me three hours later and it's like got a, you know, one of those walls that like where detectives are laying out their entire case and everything. And it's like me planning out my argument, you know, later. And I was like, that is so accurate. <laughs> oh man, that's, oh, that's me to a T. Right. I'll get home and I'm talking to my partner. 
and be like, I should have said this, I should have said that. And she's like, dude, it's over. She's like, come on. And I'm like, I, 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 if I can rewind time, I'd go back into that meeting. But I'd say this, I'd say it this way. But I, I mean, yeah, I that that's yeah, that's me to a T too. I do a lot of like, and my my husband knows this now. He's like. I'll say, uh, yeah, and then I was like this. And he's like, you didn't actually say that. I'm like, no, but I should have. I should have said it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Well, um, uh, what, made, what made you want to do this interview um, with the Committed Project? Ask a question. Oh, that's deep. Well, honestly, I think that, I think, I think it's just a thought that I wish I'd had this when I was a younger professional. I, I wish that, when I was at my first job, there was, there was a, you know, like a YouTube video or um, another blog somewhere where there was a, a a young professional of color, you know, in higher ed talking about some of the, some of the you know, mental health challenges they face. I, I wish I'd had that. I really do. And so part of me is thinking, you know, there's probably a someone like me out there who is going through the mess, is probably dealing with some you know, not wonderful colleagues and a not great place and it's questioning whether they want to exist on this earth. And and maybe hearing this will 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 tell them that there is purpose, that there is there is a reason to keep to keep living. Because, you know, there were times probably my there were times in my first job where it's like, you know, I, I nobody cares whether I lose or die. Or whether whether I live or die. Like nobody cares. Like this place is just gonna keep going. Like they're gonna clean up my office. They're gonna hire somebody within two weeks. And they're just gonna keep moving. So it doesn't matter. But ultimately, it 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 had to matter to me. Mm-hmm. And I had to I yeah it it was much harder for me to come to that realization because I, I I didn't think I had any help. You know, I mean that 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 you know I don't if somebody gets something out of this then I'm then yeah then I've I've done more I, I've done I feel like I've done something helpful even if it's just one person absolutely honestly absolutely. We appreciate that you're doing it. <laughs> Thanks. Okay, and this is my, my big uh, final question. If you could suggest any one thing that the higher ed community could do to decrease the stigma around mental illness and be a better place for people with mental illness to work and learn, what would that be? Only one? <laughs> yep, just one thing. <laughs> I, I'm not asking you to solve it all. Just one little thing. Just one little thing? Okay, all right. One little thing. And I'll tailor this for, for I'll tailor this for men of color because that that's the context I come from. Absolutely. Mm. I really gotta think about that because this one because I, I I give you like a thousand I give you a thesis right now. <laughs> What's your top one? I would honestly say when you listen to our stories, you will see that the that the the stereotype is not always true. Yeah. But it requires you to listen, and we are not good at that. I like that. The the one thing I'll I'll share is. I, I will I will readily admit that when when I was kind of going through you know rough times in, in undergraduate and in my first job I, I didn't have a lot of I, I had no community I had a lot of friends you know I, I mean I just kind of just went through went through things so I think for me now is that I have I have a I have a small network like I said I'm an introvert I don't I don't need many friends like give me four and I'm happy four maybe like two too many I, I don't I don't know. But what I'll say is, you know, find the people that like you for you, and and they really are genuinely invested in you. And I and, and we do a we do a camp here 
right before school begins, and they asked me to speak, and I said that, and I and I actually I actually talked about my anxiety disorder with with all these freshmen. So I'm like, here here's Dr. Gaskin, like this big wig guy, and I'm like, hey, listen, I got a mental illness, and I I struggled yesterday. Like like damn, like I didn't want to get out of bed yesterday. Like it, it's real. And I and I and I told them, I said, you know, you'll fi- you'll want to find the the group of people who have your best interest in mind. And they want you to succeed no matter what. Like they they just like you because you're awesome. And they're gonna be there for you no matter what. You know, that's true friendship, that's true community. And I had I had several students come to me and I do remember a couple of them were crying and they're like, I'm afraid I'm not gonna find it. And I said, I said, at at a bare minimum, you got me. You got me. I, I'm in your corner. I don't even know you, but I'm in your corner. And I think that the one thing I've I've experienced as a professional of color is you know we can be in each other's corner like we just we just have to because there's not many of us in the field you know our, our ranks are growing but i mean there's still we still have issues with within our own little micro society within america so you know we have to be in each other's corner no matter what and for for me i think telling that student that you know was was like earth shattering to them and i said i'm not doing it i'm not doing it because it's my job i'm doing it because it's you and and I have no idea where I'm going with this, but no, I think that I mean that that idea that you have your your people, and that they're you know how how important that can be to your journey, right? Well, and especially as you talked about you know being an introvert, social media has helped me create relationships with people that I normally I it's not like I would have walked up to them in a conference, right? You know, so like, but the fact that I can kind of think about because not only am I I'm an ugh, not only am I an introvert, but I'm a slow processor. So like my comebacks sometimes are not that fast. And so I need to like think about it and process it. And social media gives me a little time to do that. Yeah, I, I think for me that's that's been the hardest part because like I said my first job I, I had no community. Like I, I really didn't. There were people who like I work with. They're like, oh yeah, it's cool. Like I may see, I may see you for drinks afterwards, stuff like that. But you know, I went home alone. You know, to my to my pretty empty apartment, and I had I didn't go out. I didn't do anything. I I just sat, I just sat and ruminated. But as I progressed, I I developed more relationships that I was close with, and I developed that community to the point where I I no longer fear being alone because I know that I can reach out to someone. And I think that's I think it's a, a, a thing that any professional needs to know is is that they they can do that. I think social media has been a wonderful thing in helping folks do that. I mean, this is how I connected with with you and other folks. I mean, that's that that's dope. Like I said, I wish I'd had this at my first job. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think it, it's really helped me as I advance in the career to to develop those relationships to the point where I actually, I actually cherished meeting people at NASPA. That, that was, that was an amazing thing. My first, my first conference, you know, being on meds and, you know, not wanting to be around anybody was, was awful because I didn't know anybody, but, but now it's, you know, I, I, I have a network that I could hit up and I'm like, yo, let's, 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 let's do lunch. Let's get together. Let's, let's shoot the mess. Right. <laughs> That's awesome. So I think that that's, yeah, I think that's the one thing for me is that community piece. Well, and I think it's one of the things that we talk about when we talk about 
a maintenance plan, I guess, mm. for lack of a better word, for for our illnesses. So, like, yeah, there's medication and there's therapy, but there's also having a support group yeah. or yeah. a support network that knows when they need to step in with you, right? So, like, I remember being in college and I had a really good, really close friend, and I was like, look, I don't feel quite right. And when I don't feel quite right, I tend to not get out of bed. And so if you notice me doing that, would you mind kind of giving me an extra nudge or checking in on me a little bit more that week and reminding me that I need to, I need to go talk to somebody. And this was before I really had identified that I uh, had depression. I just knew that that wasn't, something wasn't quite right there. And, you know, he was able to really help me seek help at that time. He's like, yeah, not only are you doing that, but you like, that's not normal. Like normal people, you know, like, and I keep using the word normal, which I shouldn't, but, um, he's like, that's not, you know, something's wrong and you, you really should get help for that. Um, and now I have Sean, um, my partner who, uh, he one time put it this way. Like when, when I'm depressed, like the, he was, he meant this in a nice way, but it's not going to sound nice. He's like, you know, the, the yeah. bitch in you goes away. And I feel like I have to step up and be the bitch on your behalf. And the, basically what he's saying is that, like, my spine, like, I, I'm just not a strong person um, when I'm depressed. And I don't advocate for myself because I, like, I don't feel like I'm worth it. And so that's where he's, you know, what what he was trying to say is is, like, I need to advocate for you because you won't do it for yourself. Um, and so he's, he's been known to like call my doctor behind my back and be like, yeah, look, I know you talked to my wife and she said, it's fine that she can wait three weeks for an appointment, but I'm telling you, you need to get her in tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. I, for, for me, one thing, one other thing I learned being particularly, you know, with, with my partner is that we, we've learned each other's, uh, ticks, yeah. you know, and that, and that's really helped, uh, me particularly, you know, making the move back to Iowa. Was like she noticed. She's like, "You're you're off." Yeah. Like I, you know, you need to do something. She was actually the impetus to, you know, when I'd come home and like, I really think people are talking to me. She's like, "That's not you," because normally you don't care. You know, normally you don't care. If people don't like right. you. Right. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, I'm really stressing about it. And so she noticed like the little ticks there, and and she won't go as far as to like call a doctor for me, but she'll be like, "Listen, like if if you know she'll." She'll stick up for me because she, she, she's looking out for me, and I, and, and, I, and I like your partner's like, hey, listen, you're not you know normal here, because to me, to, to the way I the way I hear it is is like you know I care for you that much that that you're not you know you're not this way, yeah, and something ain't right, so I need you to be this way, you know, and and for me, my 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 spouse does the same thing too. She right. notices when I'm anxious, she notices when I pace, and when I like my leg shakes. And and she does the little things like you know put her hand on my put her hand on my shoulder like, dude you're cool you know and I think that you know I didn't I didn't have that you know early enough um, yeah but she is my community and it means a lot so absolutely well thank you again for doing this I really enjoyed talking with you and um, learning from you and I can't wait to share this out uh, so other folks can also learn from you so thank you so much. Thanks for listening to The Committed Podcast, where we're working to fight stigma for professionals working in higher education. You can find more of our work on our website, www.thecommittedproject.org, 
and come say hi on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by shooting us a message at The Committed Project. If you liked what you heard or want to reach our contributors and let them know and thank them for contributing, (laughs) you can leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud or wherever you're listening. We hope that you'll share this story with someone you care about in higher education. If you or someone you know is in need of help, please contact the Suicide Prevention Lifeline by calling 1-800-273-TALK or 1-800-273-8255.